E, how are you guys doing tonight? You guys are good? Wow, this is tall. Who had this last? All right, hey, I, um, I, I've enjoyed getting to know all of you guys, um, but I don't know everybody's name. So at the, like, at the count of three, can you guys all tell me your name at the same time? Sound good? I want you just to yell. Your, I'll, I promise you I'll absorb all of your names. So on the count of three, tell me your names, all right? Three, two, one. I heard Karen. Sorry. So I'm just going to call you guys Karen. Karen, how are you guys doing tonight? Karen's good. What? You don't yell what? Oh, oh my gosh. I don't know. You might. You might. Hey, how many of you guys like night games last night? You guys like the night game? Um, it reminded me, it reminded me of this time when I was a youth pastor. This was like four years ago. And, uh, and we were doing like the counselor hunt thing. We were at a camp. And I, I was like, I was really good at the hiding part. Like no one, every time I play that game, no one ever catches me. So um, we were at this camp and I, I went and I hid. And it was actually pitch black. I know it was like a little bit light last night, but um, it was pitch black. And so we, we were able to go out and I went out in the forest. And so I was like walking on this trail. I went off the trail behind a tree, behind a bush on a rock. And so I was hidden really well. And, you know, you're, you're, like students could use their flashlights, but it was only so that they could see the trail that they were on. And so, you know, I'm sitting there and, and leaders, you know, you know, like when a student gets nearby and you get like kind of anxious, you're like, oh, are they going to find me? And you get kind of nervous. And so there was a group of students that, that were walking by and they had their flashlights and they were shining their lights around. And, and I just heard them giggling. You're just, you know, I was like, oh, it's a, it's a group of girls. And then there was like one, and I was like, oh, wait, that's actually a boy. He just hasn't hit puberty yet. It was great. Um, so it was a group of girls. Hey, there's no shame. There's no shame. It took me to like 10th grade to hit puberty, okay? Um, so I, uh, I, I realized it's a group of girls and one boy. And I was like, so I'm sitting there, and I was, I was like, okay, cool. Like, I think they're going to catch me, but I, I'm hidden pretty well. And so, you know, they're walking, they're walking, and they're giggling. And then they all stop, and then they're like, he was like, and then, and then I kid you not, I kid you not, they all turn off their flashlights and they kind of keep giggling. And then, and then they go, shh, oh, and they all start freaking out. And I'm, I'm sitting back there like, did they find me? Like, like, what happened? They all turn their lights on and just go, and just ran away. And I was like, what just happened? I have to know. And so, um, so the bell rang, game was over, I have won. And I was like, yes, I did it. And so I, I, you know, I get out from off the rock and behind the bush and the tree back onto the trail. And I start walking and then there's these group of students and they shine their flashlight at me and they're like, we found you. And I was like, no, 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 the bell rang. I'm the winner, okay? And then I realized, I was like, oh, these are my students with the flashlight in my face. And so I was like, oh, hey, what's up? Like, how are you guys doing? And they're like, they're like oh, we're good, we're good. Where were you hiding? And I was like, oh, I was like, just on this trail. I was behind the tree, behind a bush, on the rock. And then one of the people in the group goes, wait, you didn't see anything, did you? <laughs> and being the good youth pastor that I was, I said, actually, I saw everything. <laughs> and I've been meaning to talk to you about that. 
And I have no idea. I have no idea what happened. But I'm playing it off. And so one of the girls, one of the girls, I kid you not, goes like, well, they dared me to kiss him. And I was like, oh, but, but, but I had to keep it cool. I had to keep it cool. And so I was, I was, I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. I got to finish the story. And so it gets better. And so, so then, so then I, you know, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I know, I know. But you, you did it anyways. And then the one boy, the one boy goes like this. He's like, but I didn't even want to kiss her. And I was like, dude, dig your hole, bro. Whatever chance you had with her is gone. And, and I, was, I was like, I know, I know, bro, but you did it anyways. And so, so I, was like, I was like, this is this worked out perfectly. So I was like, okay, um, hey, everybody else, you guys go back to chapel. You and you stay back. I need to talk to you. And we had a great conversation. I didn't send them home. But I was, you know, I was like, hey, this pulls away from camp. Don't be kissing. You know, okay, stop. Don't do that anymore. It's not, we're, not, we're here for Jesus, okay? We're not here for yeah, all right. So, um, I, I loved, I loved that game. I love that game. But it got me thinking. Do you think that if they knew, if they knew that I was off the trail, behind the tree, behind the bush, on the rock, do you think that they would have stopped right there and kissed each other? I really hope not. That'd be so weird if they're like Stevie's over there. Let's go. That'd be the weirdest thing ever. So they didn't do that. All jokes aside, all jokes aside. Okay, I'm glad you guys are awake. All jokes aside, it got me thinking about how would we actually live differently in the same way they would not have done what they did if they knew I was there. How would we live differently if we actually knew that God was present? How would we live differently if we knew that God was around? And, and, and not in like a weird way, you know, like God seeing me when I'm going to the bathroom. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. Not like that. But how would we live differently? How would we live differently? How would we actually live in more freedom? How would we walk with joy? How would we walk with life? How would we walk with freedom through the wildernesses of our life if we knew that God was with us and he's in control? See, I think oftentimes we walk through life and then when things happen, we're like, oh my gosh, the world's ending. But that's because we don't have this reality that God is with us. He is there and he's in control. And so if you guys have your Bibles, that's what we're gonna be looking at today. So throw your Bibles up in the... All right, Genesis 50. I know, we're leaving Exodus. Go to Genesis. Genesis, last page of Genesis. Genesis 50. Turn to Genesis 50. While you guys are turning there, a bit of context that's going to get us to this place in Genesis 50. In Genesis 15, 15 chapters into the very first book of the Bible, God is talking to this man named Abram. He's not Abraham yet, he's just Abram. And God is talking to Abram, and he tells Abram straight up, hey, Abram, you're gonna become this great nation, but just so you know, you will be enslaved for 400 years, and after that, I'm gonna pull you out with a mighty hand. God told Abram that, Genesis 15. 
This is the story in Exodus that we're reading now. So God told Abram that 400 years. And then Abraham, he was 100 years old when he had his first son. And you think your parents are old. Like, yeah, yeah, Grandpa Abraham wasn't playing football with his son, right? Like, he, he was probably a cool dad, but he was old. And so he had a son, Isaac. And, and Isaac had a son named Jacob. And Jacob, if you know the story, Jacob wrestled with God and God renamed him Israel. That's why we call them the Israelites after Jacob. And so Jacob gets renamed Israel and he had 12 sons. We talked about him before. That's a lot of boys. And one of his sons, his name was Joseph. And Joseph, like I said, you know, he was a dreamer. He, he, he had a lot of pride and God spoke to him in dreams. And so one of the dreams that God spoke to him said, hey, your brothers and your family, they're going to bow down before you. And so as you do, when God gives you that kind of dream, you tell your brothers, hey, bros, you're going to worship me. How do you think that went for the guy? Didn't go well. And so Joseph, Joseph tells his brothers, hey, bros, you guys are going to worship me. And so his brothers do like the natural thing. They say, let's kill him. And so they want to kill him, but then the one brother, shh, guys, bring it back. One brother, his name was Reuben, and Reuben honestly was like, no, I don't want to kill him. But then another brother named Judah was like, wait, 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 yeah, let's actually not kill him because we could make some money. Let's sell him into slavery. And so they sell him into slavery. And if you know the rest of the story, he goes into Egypt in slavery and he finds himself in prison. And he's in prison and he's still interpreting dreams. He's in jail, right? And then through interpreting dreams, he becomes second in command over all of Egypt. Second in command. But here's the reality. From the moment that he was sold by his brothers to the moment he became second in command of all of Egypt, that's 20 years. Who in here is 10 years old? Yeah, that's twice your age. And you guys are like, you're waiting for, like, just because you're hungry, you're waiting for lunch. Could you imagine God gave you a promise and you had to wait 20 years in prison for God to show up in that promise? He had to wait. He had to see when God was going to come up. That's two times your age. And so then God shows Joseph in a dream that there's going to be a famine. God shows Joseph this and he says, hey, in seven years there's going to be a famine and so you should start collecting grain, start saving it. And so sure enough, as God said, because as God says, so happens because God is in control and he knows what's going to happen. Um, there was a famine and it was so great that all of these nations started coming to Egypt because they heard that Egypt had a bunch of grain and Joseph is starting to sell the grain to all of these other nations and guess who shows up to buy grain? his brothers. But they don't recognize him because they think that Joseph is toast, right? They think Joseph is dead. They're like, they sold him. They thought he was a goner. And so Joseph, Joseph sells them grain. And then eventually he he's like, hey guys, I'm actually your brothers, jerks, but it's okay. I forgive you. He gives them food. He gives them land. He moves the entire family into Egypt. And you're like, yay, family reunion. It's awesome. You sold me into slavery. And so now they're all in Egypt. And then this is how the story goes. Everything that we find right now, it's all because of this moment. So Genesis 50, verses 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, and so their, their dad just died, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us. Yeah, of course. And pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. 
So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive them, uh, forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him. Now remember his dream. His brothers were going to bow down before him, fulfilled right here. They bowed down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? And this is it right here. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph is the man. I mean, do you think that you could be at the place where you could say, hey, hey, it's okay. I know that you were evil. I know that you meant evil against me, but I see how God was working things out. So I trust God. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And we know how the rest of the story goes. Israel grows. Phineas Rowe becomes the new Pharaoh. He kills babies. He enslaves them. And then God brings justice in the nine plagues, the Passover, and then they're off into the wilderness and freedom. Exodus 12 Verse 40 says the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was, guess how many years? 430, 400 years. What did God say all the way back in Genesis 15 to Abram? Hey, you have your nations going to be in Egypt for 400 years. And then it was close to 700 years like this whole time span, when he raised Abram up and then till Moses came, 700 years. Could you imagine the waiting? Could you imagine being one of the people that were in slavery in Egypt and you died and you never got to see the promise of God fulfilled? See, there are things in God's master plan that are so much bigger than our small lifetime. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in our little lifetime that we don't realize God has a master, mega plan that he's unfolding. God isn't surprised by anything. I think you need to hear that. When you sin, when you mess up, when something happens, God isn't surprised, right? He's not caught off guard. He's like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. We have a God who knows. He's not caught off guard. He is in control, and you might have things in your life that you look around and you're like, no, there's no way God could do something good with that. There's no way that God could ever fix this situation. There's no way God was ever in control when that happened. But here's the thing. God is in control and he does use those things. And this word that we talk about in church when we say God is in control is the word sovereignty. And you're like, whoa, big church word. I don't particularly like big church words. So let me try to make this word really simple for you. Sovereignty literally means super reign, super reign, reign like a king rules and reigns over a kingdom, right? So can you guys say God rules? rules. Say it stronger. God rules. All right. Thank you. So in God's super reign, right, his super rule over his kingdom, he is moving everything towards his good and perfect plan. God is moving everything forward towards his good and perfect plan, but we actually know what God's good and perfect plan is. His perfect plan is to restore our relationship with him. 
Read about Eden and that relationship that God had with Adam and Eve. He wants to restore that because sin broke our relationship with him. And this is why he sent Jesus. Because he wasn't content being separated from us. He wasn't content with the distance and the gap between us. He's not content with sin continuing to sever our relationship. And because of that, he sent Jesus because he is out to restore relationship with him. That's where life is. Remember how the burning bush was burning, but it wasn't consumed? It's not because he doesn't need, it's because he doesn't need fuel. He is the fuel of life. God is the fuel of life. And because of that, when we connect to him, we're connected to life. God wants to restore relationship with him. God wants to end sin. Done. And all of the effects of sin. He wants to end the effects of sin. Death, sickness, COVID, divorce, bullying. He wants to end the effects of sin. I love if you read Revelation 21, when it talks about where everything is headed, when God restores all things, it says there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow. God will wipe every tear away from our faces. Why? Because he's done it. Because he's brought everything to his good and perfect purpose. And ultimately he is making all things new that is broken. We look around and we see this world is broken. And guess what? God is moving it to renewal. He is fixing everything that's broken. Romans 8.28 says, God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God works all things together for good. Now, I promised I'd tell you guys another water balloon story. You ready? All right. I was in eighth grade. This is a good one. I was in eighth grade, and, um, and we were just about to graduate eighth grade, and so uh, our teachers took us on a walk to a park, and they, that was so that we could sign yearbooks, and so we all went to this park, and we were eating lunch, and we're sitting on this grass field, and, and then our teachers thought it'd be funny to throw water balloons at us. And so, so we didn't know. I'm sitting there eating my peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I'm just enjoying myself, having a good time. And next thing I know, Mrs. Tamahiro, more about her in a second, reaches into a cooler and starts throwing water balloons at us. But I was small and I was fast. And so I was like, uh-uh, not today, Mrs. Tamahiro. And I ran over there. I swooped one water balloon and I ran like 100 feet away. And I was a baseball player. I had a great arm. I was an outfielder. Like I could throw really far. And so I'm, I'm like far enough, like they can't hit me with a water balloon, but I've got one, one shot. And I looked and I was like, I can, I could take her out. <laughs> and here's the thing about Mrs. Tomahiro. Mrs. Tomahiro was a dinosaur. Like she was about to retire. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure like that was her last year. She was, she was, she was maybe going to die soon. Like she was old. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. All right, Mrs. Tomahiro. Mrs. Tomahiro was so sweet. She was like the sweetest lady ever. Did I mention she sang in the church choir? Like she was a saint. She was the nicest, sweetest dinosaur I have ever met, right? Super, super old, sweet lady, sang in the church choir. And oh, oh, did I mention she was like about to retire, right? She just wanted to be a grandma. She just wanted to retire and spend time with her kids. Did I mention she wore glasses? Mrs. Tomahiro is great. Okay, so that's who's reaching down to throw water balloons at us. Sweet, ancient Mrs. Tomahiro. 
And so, so she's reaching down, and here I am 100 feet away, and I'm like, I'm like, it's about to go down. And so I had the water balloon, and I took like the biggest crow hop, and I, woof! And you know those moments when slow motion actually happens? Yeah, yeah that's what happened. And so I watched this water balloon, and I'm, I'm like, oh, it's going to get her, it's going to get her. And it's just, woof, 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 woof. Whoa, whoa. And I'm like, it's going to get her. I'm really so excited. And then Miss Sweet, she's so old. And she was so nice. Church choir. And so she had glasses. And so she reaches down and she turns around. Bop! In the face! I, I killed her. Okay, so she didn't die, but she, but she did fall over. Like, like, like hit her and she like just rolled back. And so, of course, of course I ran, but we were in the middle of an open field. So it's like, where do you hide? And so I had like 500 yards until I could find a bathroom to go hide in. And so I'm like just running. I'm like, she's never going to know. She's never going to know. And so I made it to the bathroom. I'm sitting there. I'm breathing heavy. And I'm like, I just killed her. She's going to heaven though. Thank you, Jesus. Um, she's sang in the church choir. And so, so, okay, so this is what happened. I went to school the next day. Um, I went to school the next day and I went into Mrs. Tomohiro's class. And, and I was like, dude, she doesn't know. No one's going to, how is she going to know? No one's going to know. Everybody knew. And so I sat down, I sat down, and Mrs. Tomohiro walks in. And she had not one, but two black eyes. Two. And because it pushed the glasses into her face, and, and so this is, let me just like, sh- let me just share how sweet and how saintly, I know, the Lord has saved me. I am like, praise Jesus, I'm not this guy anymore. But um, so, so she's, she stands up in front of class and she says, as you guys can tell, um, yesterday I got hit in the face with a water balloon. And I just want whoever did that to know that I forgive them. And, and so I just need you guys to know, I need, I need you to know that I forgive you, but I also want to give you this opportunity right now just to let me know that you did it. And I just want you to know I forgive you. And so I was like, she doesn't know. There's no way she knows. And I'm like sliding down in my chair. And I never told her. She gave me the opportunity. I never told her. But here's why this story is significant for this text. Because my teacher was awesome. But the reality is, is my teacher had power in that moment. She knew it was me. Everybody knew it was me. She had power in that moment. She could have punished me. She could have had me suspended. She could have thrown a water balloon in my face, right? She had power. She had authority. She chose with all of her power, with all of her authority, not to punish me, but to forgive me. Now, my teacher was awesome, and she had power. But she wasn't God. She didn't have super power. She didn't super reign. And so if you're tracking with me up until this point and you're realizing I'm talking a lot about how God is in control. God has power. God reigns. And we know with God's power, he sent Jesus to die for us, to forgive us. But if you're tracking with me, two questions might be coming up. 
And right before we get to those two questions, one I want to highlight, we know that there is sin and brokenness in this world. We know that we've chosen sin. God gave us that choice. We chose sin, and because of that, there is evil, there's brokenness, there's sin, there's pain, there's death. All of these things exist because we decided to say, God, we know better than you. That's so important for us before we start, where we say, God, yeah, you super reign, but I want to reign, right? We know that. So the first question that might come up as I'm talking about how God is in control would be this. If God is in control, does it even matter what I do? Right? God's going to make his plan work anyways. Does it even matter what I do if God is in control? That's question one. Question two, why do bad things happen then? God's in control. Why do bad things happen? Or let's just make it a little more personal. God, where were you when... Fill in the blank. Where were you when that happened in my life? Where were you when that didn't happen in my life? Where were you? So question number one, does it matter what I do if God is in control anyways? Can you guys flip all the way to like the first page of the Bible, Genesis 1? Genesis 1, verses 27 and 28. And it says this, this is when God is creating It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. In other words, he's saying, have rule over things reign over things. And so what God did in his sovereignty, in his super reign, he planned and plans to partner with you. He says, yeah, I rule and I reign. I've created everything, but I'm going to delegate for you to actually care for earth. I'm going to delegate to you to care over all these other things. I'm going to delegate to you to love others, to restore things, to cultivate, to build, to be creative. I'm delegating that to you. So God made you to rule. Can you say, I rule? Come on. I rule. I rule. Awesome. But can you now say, I rule with God? I rule with God. Awesome. God super reigns. He is sovereign. You little reign. God super reigns, but you little reign. And God loves to partner with us. But here's what. He wants you to ride the rapids of his love. So when you pray, when you love someone, when you do a kind act, when you make decisions, the way you treat people, what you decide to do with your life, it actually matters. It actually does stuff. Because God said, you rule. But, like I said, God's love, his plan, his purposes are all moving in the direction where he is restoring all things. It's the river of God's love. Now the question is, do you want to ride God's love in accordance with his plan, or do you want to turn sideways to his love? And when we turn sideways to God's love, when we try to say, hey, God, I know that you called me to rule and reign, but I really want to super reign, you turn sideways to God's love, we experience his love as opposition and wrath. So why do bad things happen? Well, one, we live in a sinful world. We live in a world that's broken. And another thing is because God has given us power to rule and to reign. But here's the thing. We mess up, but we can never mess up God's plan. 
I will mess up. I'll mess up after this. I might even mess up during this. But the reality is I cannot mess up God's plan. God's plans and purposes don't change. He is consistent. He says, I am. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So the question is, how will you decide to ride God's rapids? Question number two that comes up. Why do bad things happen? Or, God, where were you when? Where were you when? So I'm going to share a little bit about my story real quick. Is it cool if I just sit down for a second? Cool. So as you guys know, I shared a little bit about my story. Um, I am the youngest of four boys. We, we grew up going to church um, up until I was about seven years old. I literally don't remember anything about Jesus before I was seven um, because we all went to travel, travel baseball, travel soccer, and so we just got really busy. We go to church on Christmas and Easter. So in my head, because my family said that they were Christian, I was like, oh, I'm a Christian, but I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. As you can tell through my stories, I didn't follow him very closely. And so... Um, you know, I, I was so influenced by my brothers because I wanted to be like them. I, I didn't know who I was. And so my brothers, especially when I got into middle school, my brothers were a big influence on my life. And so when they would go to parties, I wanted to go to parties. When I saw them dating people, I wanted to start dating people. The way they dressed, I wanted to dress. The music listened to, I wanted to listen to. And so I grew up and all throughout middle school, I spent my time, I didn't really realize it until someone told me, but I was just trying to figure out who I was. And so I found my identity in my friend groups. I found my identity, honestly, in doing hood rat things and water ballooning. I found my identity in my athleticism in sports. I found my identity in all of the girls that I dated, right? I was trying to find my identity in all of these different things. And, 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 and I, I would say that I was a Christian, like many of you guys might have thought. But again, I didn't follow him. I remember um, when I got into high school and I started going to parties, because I tried finding my identity in drinking alcohol. And then I started finding my identity and, and, I, and I started doing some drugs. And I, I tried those things to try to figure out who I was. And I remember even at those parties, I would try telling people about Jesus as if I was following him. And so I had this one moment, and you know those moments where you, you can never forget it. I was driving with my mom and, and I was a sophomore in high school. And we were driving past my high school because I remember it so vividly. I turned to my mom, and, and honestly, I think the Holy Spirit was, was prompting me to say this. And um, I, I was like, hey, Mom, you and Dad should go, go out. And because I was partying, I thought maybe it'd be fun if they went to a club. And so I was like, hey, Mom, like, you and Dad should go to a club. Like, go have some fun. Party a little. And my mom just started ugly crying. And she turned to me and she said, Stevie, your dad just gave me his wedding ring and he's leaving our family. Just after that, my dad actually ended up leaving the country <laughs> and he was gone for four years um, while I was trying to figure out where am I going to go to college? Who am I? What's going to be my future? And so my dad was just gone for four years. But, but I remember that moment specifically because I was in the car with my mom and we drove to our, I don't even know how we got there. She was crying so much. And we got to my driveway and we sat in the driveway for two hours. And my mom was just saying, I feel like I failed you. I'm so sorry that I did this to you guys. And I was like, you didn't do anything. And I remember at the end of that conversation, my mom just randomly was like, I think you and I need to go back to church. I could have chosen to be really angry at God in that moment. 
But what happened in that moment is I realized that the brokenness that was actually inside of me, I was just pouring that out by going to parties. I was trying to find worth in all these other things. And in that moment, I was like, I need Jesus. So my mom and I started going back to church. None of my brothers did. It was just my mom and I. And she would go to divorce care group and I would go to youth group. And I kid you not, every sermon, it felt like God was speaking to me. Every sermon, it was like the questions that I was wrestling with, the pastor was talking about. The things that I was going on in my heart, I felt like God was calling those things out in me. And I was like, all right, God, I surrender. Like, I need this life because I'm so broken. And that was a moment that I realized I really needed Jesus. And on um, August 9th, 2008, my mom and I got baptized together. And it was a wonderful, wonderful moment. Now here's, yeah, thank you. Here's the reason why I share that story. Um, because I know statistically, uh, there's actually probably half the room can resonate with that story. That stinks. I'm sorry. That's not God's plan. Or that's not how he designed it to be. And I know that some of you guys have stories way more devastating than that. And some of you guys might be like, man, my story's not that crazy. No, your story's real. You have real pain in your life. I don't know. I couldn't tell you all of the reasons why God allowed my parents to get a divorce. I couldn't tell you all of the things that came from that, but what I could tell you is that I sit up here on this stage because of that moment. I sit up here because through that divorce, God called me and I started following him. And I stand up here and I get to tell you about his love because of a moment of brokenness that God decided to redeem in his sovereignty. That's the type of God that we serve. Now it hurts. It still hurts. My, my family's still broken. I'm working on this relationship with my dad. It's still not perfect. I've forgiven him for sure. But the reality is, is things happen and there's pain and you're not always going to know the why. Sometimes you will. Like, I know the why of my parents' divorce, at least one of them, is that I got saved. And I thank God every day for that. The greatest mo moment of pain in my life became the greatest blessing in my life. So there's, this, there's a story in the Gospel of John, John 11. And I want to read that to you real quick. John 11, 32 through 37. Now, Jesus had these friends, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, because Jesus was actually a really friendly guy. And so he made friends and he had these friends, but one of his friends, Lazarus, got sick. And so as he was traveling to come and, and see sick Lazarus, Lazarus ended up dying. And it says this, now when Mary, was Lazarus' sister, came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Man, I've said that before. God, if you were there, my parents wouldn't have gotten a divorce. God, if you were there, that sickness wouldn't have ended like that. God, if you were there, this wouldn't have happened. And so I love how real she is to the Lord. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who, were, who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and he was greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And this is the shortest verse in the Bible. If you want to memorize a verse, Jesus wept. There you go. Jesus wept. But in the original language, it's not like he softly cried. 
It's guttural. You know when you're, when you're crying so deeply that you can't even breathe and you're just sobbing and <sighs> that's, that's the language that this is portraying. Jesus was convulsing crying. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And again, they're like, they see the same thing. Jesus, if you would have been here, right, this bad thing wouldn't have happened. God, if you're good, if you're sovereign, if you're in control, why do bad things happen? What I want to highlight is Jesus knew that he was just seconds away from raising Lazarus from the dead. Have you thought about that? Jesus knew that he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. Now, if I were Jesus, I would be like, oh, homies, just wait. I'm about to do the craziest thing. I'm about to raise him from the dead. We're about to party. This is going to be awesome. Stop crying. I'm about to heal. But he doesn't do that, does he? Says he wept. He was present with his friend Mary as she cried. And he felt his own pain because he realized that death wasn't how he wanted it to be. He realized death isn't the end of the story. Death isn't where the rest of the world is going. He's restoring all things. And so Jesus looks at this broken situation, knowing he's about to fix it, and he cries. So for you that's sitting here right now and you're asking that question, God, where were you? God, why did this happen? You say you're in control. You say you're good. You say you're loving. Why did this happen? Why did my friends leave me? Why did my parents get that divorce? Why did that other thing happen? I want you just to look at Jesus here. He's with you. And he's not a God that's distant, sitting up in heaven on a golden throne, just looking down and saying, I'm going to fix it all one day. Just get over it. Verse 53 it says, so from that day on, they made plans to put Jesus to death. And you're like, why would they want to kill the guy? Well, what I know about Jesus is he's not a God who's far off, but he's a God who actually saw the brokenness, saw the pain, saw the devastation caused by the sin that we choose, and he let it kill him. We don't have a savior who looks at us who, who's broken when we're in our deepest darkness. He doesn't look at us and say, get over it. He looks at it and says, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna experience the pain with you. I'm gonna weep with you. Oh, and I'm also making all things work together for good, but I'm with you. That's the Jesus that we have. Not everything is good. I, I want to highlight that. Not everything is good. Divorce isn't good. You read the Bible, it wasn't how God designed it to be. Death isn't good. You read the Bible, God created us not originally to die, but sin has caused all these things. Not everything is good, but notice God works all things together for good. You won't always know the why. Why that happened. God, what's the good that's gonna come from this? You might not ever know. Remember the people who were in slavery, they died when they were still in slavery, but God was gonna bring them out. You may not ever know why, but Jesus looks at you with tears in his eyes and he just says, will you trust me? And I believe that's the invitation to us tonight. Jesus, who suffered in our place, 
Jesus, who looked at the pain and brokenness that you experienced and said, I'm going to let that kill me because I'm working all things together for good, looks at you and with wet eyes just asks you, will you trust me? I'm working things together for good. I'm good and I love you. And so guys, there's a word in scripture that we talk about and it's just the word repentance. And what that word literally means is when you turn from going towards your little reign and you turn and say, God, I'm gonna run towards your super reign. And so I wanna ask some of you guys tonight because the reality is, is you might've been harboring anger towards God because you're like, God, you let this happen. You made this happen. God, where were you when? And you've been harboring this anger. And, and tonight, God wants to call you to say, will you trust me? Will you stop trying to run your own life and run in your own direction? And will you turn and trust me? And so would you guys close your eyes and pray with me? And if that's you and you just realize that you just want to turn, you want to say, God, I trust you. I, I, I'm actually okay if I don't know the answer, but I trust you. If that's you, would you just pray in your, in your heart with me and just say, God, I release control to you. God, I trust you. God, I believe, but help my unbelief. And God, I pray for everyone here in this room that I know there are stories that are devastating and broken. I know that there's pain. I know that there's sadness. I know that there's unanswered questions here tonight. But God, as we see in Jesus, you didn't just cross your arms and say, get over it. You got in it with us. And so Jesus, we ask that you would just make your presence so known to us that as we go through the wilderness and the difficulties of life, that we would not experience the lack of your presence, but we would know that you are with us. And God, would we also, would you fill our trust up to trust you that you are in control and that you're working all things together for the good and you're moving everything to your good end. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. We all said? Amen, amen. amen.